Hello, my name's Joanna Bailey. And I'm Tom Boone. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Simple Flying Podcast, where we'll give you the lowdown on the latest news from the world of commercial aviation. Here's what we have for you this week. Coming up in today's show, Joe will give us a lowdown on Airbus's recent reveal of its zero-emissions plane concepts, and I'll see what the future of the A380 at Lufthansa is. I'll investigate why two major British airlines are going head-to-head in Pakistan, and Tom will look at why passengers wouldn't jump from the wing of a Flybe E195. Finally, Joe will tell us all about the current craze for flights that go absolutely nowhere. So, now you know what's in store, let's get on with the show. So, I wanted to let you start this week, Joe, because I have no clue what's going on in aviation at the moment, (laughs) but um, I'm back. (laughs) We have to put a caveat on that Tom's been travelling again. Um, Me, I'm still locked down in Cornwall. Well, not locked down, but I haven't been anywhere. (laughs) Uh, Tom is zooming around all over the place. He's just done a 600-mile road trip in Scotland, so he's completely out of touch with aviation. I'm really looking forward to having the upper hand today. So uh, (laughs) to kick off today's podcast, we're going to talk about the recent announcement or revelation, should I say, from Airbus um, of three new aircraft concepts for zero-emissions planes. And this was all to celebrate um, zero-emissions Day, which I didn't even know was a thing actually, but uh, but apparently it is. And, and in celebration of the day, it, it unveiled Airbus unveiled these three aircraft concepts. So one is a narrow body, which carries somewhere from 120 to 200 passengers with a, a range of about 2,000 nautical miles. One is a six-blade turboprop design for 100 or fewer passengers with a around about 1,000 nautical miles range. And then we saw a resurgence of the blended wing body aircraft, which it it kind of floated around earlier in the year as a a potential concept for a very efficient plane. So um, that one, if you haven't seen it, do have a look because it's a real break from the norm. It's got a nice wide fuselage, loads of options for cabin designs. Um, But how are they zero emission? These all three planes are codenamed Zero E. um, And the key thing about them is they all are planned to run on hydrogen. Um, Now, hydrogen propulsion, it's kind of been muttered about for, you know, over a decade now. But until sort of five years ago, it wasn't even on the radar of of aerospace design. So this is really interesting that Airbus appears to be taking it seriously. Um, And in their kind of media releases, they said they were incredibly excited about the potential that hydrogen's got and it can reduce the industry's CO2 by 50%. Um, So the theory is that zero-E aircraft will run on modified gas turbine engines using hydrogen fuel cells to create electrical power that complements the gas turbine. So they're not 100% hydrogen planes. They're like a hybrid electric gas turbine propulsion system. Um, And each plane, the main thing, the issue with hydrogen is the storage. It's obviously quite a difficult thing to store and distribute safely. Um, So they've come up with a different means of integrating the storage and distribution depending on the type of aircraft. and uh, for example, the blended wing aircraft, it could be stored under the wings. In the narrow body, it would be behind the rear pressure bulkhead. But obviously, I mean, all this is just paper-based kind of nice thoughts at the moment. And, uh, you know, it's a really ambitious project. Um, but Airbus appears to be fairly serious about it. Um, you know, they've said that they want to bring a zero emission aircraft to market for entry into service by 2035. That might sound like 
ages away. But in terms of aircraft design, it's like tomorrow, you know, that's not a long time to completely re redesign air travel as we know it. So they'll need to have a flying zero E aircraft basically within the next five years. And just five years to mature hydrogen technologies. I don't know what you think, Tom. You're the aerospace designer person, but I just think it's a little bit pie in the sky. I mean, it's, it's, it's similar to what we were discussing on the last um, regular podcast with the zero emission challenge for um, London to New York, although I guess this will be on a much smaller scale in terms of distance. But it just still seems, it seems very far out, but... I mean, think about it, you know, Airbus didn't even exist 50 years ago and here they are uh, with the all these planes, the A350, um, even the A380, you know, I think it's it's doable, but it's, it's going to take an awful lot of work. And it's, of course, it's not the same as just certifying the A350, say, because you've got all of these other roadblocks, you know, there's never been a hydrogen plane before. So that's going to have to go down a whole a rabbit yeah. hole of certification, you know, so it's not just yeah, the case definitely. of we have to design this aircraft. It's then we've got to get certification for it, but then we've also got to go out of the way to certify all these brand new technologies. I mean, think of this um, blended wing one, you know, like that in itself with the new design, I'm sure would have all sorts and then you've got to think about the safety of um, storing hydrogen on aircraft and yeah. yeah, definitely. And, you know, on top of that, you've got all the infrastructure issues to actually bring something like that into service. You're going to have to have airports with hydrogen storage and delivery solutions. You know, you're going to have to have a hydrogen production network around the world. Um, so, I mean, I guess, like, if we're looking really long term, yeah, maybe there might be something flying by the end of this decade. But, uh, you know, kudos to them. Absolutely. We need a solution. I think it's great. It's an out of the box solution. And what I found most exciting is they said that the key thing to take away is hydrogen has a different volumetric energy density to jet fuel. Now, I'm not quite sure whether that means it takes up more space or less, but they said that because of that, the way the visual appearance of future aircraft may well change a great deal. And I, for one, am very excited to see some brand new kind of innovative aircraft designs, something a bit different than the flying pencil with wings, you know? <laughs> I mean, maybe you just need to bring in a new version of the 747 with the hump just storing all of this. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, resurgence of the Queen. Mm. Anyway, so talking about big aircraft, and uh, we mentioned the 747 there, you've got some updates on Lufthansa's A380s, Tom. I have, and um, it's it's not going to be welcomed by many of our listeners, I'm sure, um, because for some time, you know, like, I mean, Lufthansa hasn't flown an A380 for maybe half a year now, um, maybe slightly less, I think, in the case of Lufthansa, but it's just... Um, it's such a shame because we've already seen um, Air France obviously said, bye-bye, we're scrapping the A380. And then Lufthansa was like, okay, we're scrapping six of our A380s. Or not scrapping per se, but retiring Parking. from the fleet. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's always been this question about what's happening with um, the remaining eight A380s that Lufthansa has. Because I know when we visited um, the hangar in... Well, that must have been two or three months ago now. Um, but they were mentioning there that a lot of the um, employees that work in the A380 hangar at um, Frankfurt Airport were questioning, like, what's their future? 
without the A380, but um, it seems as though we know um, because yesterday um, the airline detailed its third round of restructuring measures and lots of um, companies or um outlets were focusing on the things like the reduced travel demand and the job cuts, but obviously being simple flying, we had to take a huge interest in um, the fleet <laughs> future. Yeah, of course. Um, so what they said about the A380 was um, that after the six A380s were finally taken out of service in the spring, the remaining eight A380s and 10 A340-600s, uh, which were previously intended to be flying, will be transferred to long-term storage and removed from planning. So that's already right. been the case with the 340-600s, but the other A380s have remained at Frankfurt for the moment. But okay. um, what they did say, which was slightly unnerving, was that these aircraft will only be reactivated in the event of an unexpectedly rapid market recovery, which mm. basically says, unless pigs fly, it's not flying again. <laughs> you oh, know? Yeah, um, it's not good news, really, is it? It's not. And I mean, it's, they're not, they haven't condemned the aircraft yet because they've still said there is this chance if there is an unexpectedly rapid market recovery, but I think the fact that the airline themselves have yesterday, um, they redid their forecast saying that instead of regaining 50% of um, production by the end of the year, they're now only targeting 20 to 30%. I think that also right, speaks yeah. volume about whether they Very expect telling. to see an unexpected rapid market recovery. Yeah, um, I don't think any of us do really. Yeah, I, it, it's sad, but I think... Um, the final flight of the A380 in the Lufthansa fleet has gone by without anybody realising it. That is sad, isn't it? Mm. That is a shame. And, uh, you know, there's a big question mark over other of giants of the skies, you know, particularly like Qantas has parked mm. up their, their aircraft, you know, and they've said it's long term and we hope they'll be coming back because they've got a lovely brand new first class on them. But uh, we just don't know. And uh, it seems that outside of the Middle East, there really is a very shaky kind mm. of future for this aircraft and uh, and European operators in particular are not not big fans of it mm. but uh, maybe well, British Airways will bring theirs back I mean I have hope that BA will from what I've sort of been hearing from different people but I mean we never know exactly because we're not in the boardroom with um, Alex Cruz no. um, but <laughs> I, it will, oh, I to be a fly on the wall <laughs> yeah I think it will be interesting to see what happens to these other eight A380s though because obviously they've said they're going in long-term storage right now they're just sat on the ramp at Frankfurt Airport you know like it's um, yeah. when when I worked um, at an airport you know we had um, an aircraft that um, had an incident and it was just sat out on the ramp and I was like right the first thing we need to do is move it because everyone landing is seeing this aircraft you know yeah. and it's the same with these A380s everyone's seeing that they're just sat there taking up space and of course space at major airports like Frankfurt doesn't come cheaply um, no, right. so I mean when we're looking to cut costs in the airline this is not going to be something that they want to um, be spending a lot on so it'll be interesting <laughs> no. to see where they go because um, sort of uh, the others obviously went to Terrell in Spain, but 
I, I, I think we're know. nearly full down there. It's yeah, looking that, that pretty was, packed. <laughs> we haven't really seen anything else go out there and everything else is going to um, other things. I'm amazed that Kemble is still accepting 747s because... Yeah, the, they their, must be packed. <laughs> their hangar, I'm sure, is bigger on the inside than it is on the outside, you know. Um, <laughs> like the TARDIS. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so it will, be, it will be interesting to see what happens because I'm not sure off the top of my head where there is space in Europe to store things at the moment. No, and they're not small things to store. Mm. But uh, anyway, moving on. So I wanted to just mention really quickly about uh, some new flights to Pakistan. Because um, for a really long time, the UK had no, um, none of our homegrown airlines would fly to Pakistan. Um, and uh, recently, we've had kind of a flurry of activity on, on Pakistan flights. So British Airways last week announced it's going to be flying to a new destination in, in Pakistan from October the 12th. So they're going to be going four times a week from London Heathrow direct to Lahore using their uh, lovely Boeing 7878. Um, and that's obviously their second destination destination in Pakistan because last year in June, I think it was, they resumed flights to Islamabad after an 11-year-long hiatus. So obviously, you know, politically and uh, there were a lot of tensions between Pakistan and the UK. So they pulled the route entirely, restarted it last year, and now they've added another destination. And this announcement came literally just two weeks after the rival UK airline, Virgin Atlantic, announced its own foray into Pakistan. So Virgin is looking to start in December and they're going to be flying to um, both Lahore and Islamabad from Heathrow and also to Islamabad from their hub at Manchester. Um, so the reason for all these kind of sudden flights into Pakistan is probably spurred a little bit by the EASA ban on flights into Europe mm. by uh, Pakistan International Airlines. So but, I mean, PAI or PIA wasn't um, flying that many routes to London and Manchester, you know, I think they had no, they several flights weren't. to Manchester, Manchester. But um, I remember when yeah. I was writing about the Virgin one, they said um, a key sort of market that they want to catch is the cargo. And because um, because of how they time the flights, they can transfer passengers and cargo quite easily between um, transatlantic flights and Pakistan flights. That's really interesting. So, very interesting. And I know mm. that a lot of the producers, because Pakistan is very much an export country, um, yeah. they produce a lot of stuff themselves. And a lot of the producers were kind of left with a surplus, particularly when PIA got banned, because mm. the, they used to be kind of the vital link between Pakistan and Europe. Yeah. And um, obviously, if you were following along with that story, it was um, they, they're banned for six months from flying into the block because of a scandal involving fake pilots' licenses. So they're still trying to iron that out. They haven't yeah. made any move to appeal the ban. Um, but, well, at least uh, six months. <laughs> for, for at least six I mean, months, yeah. The, the Boeing 737 MAX was only meant to be grounded for one month, wasn't it, originally? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wasn't doing any Boeing bashing today. No. I, I refused to do it. There were some Dreamliner issues that I was very tempted to talk about. But, I mean, uh, well, no, you could have probably said some quite positive stuff about the 737 MAX for a change this week because we've seen some <laughs> good news recently. Yeah, we have. But let's move on. Yeah. If you want to know more, do visit the site because we write about it all and, and more. Every day. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. in, in a nutshell, I think um, I'm happy to see flights to Pakistan. It shows that the mm. tensions between the two countries have settled down. And, you know, it's good for the future. It's it's good uh, good to make those connections. So yeah. there we go. Onwards. Now, you want to talk about my ex-local airline, don't you, Tom? I do, actually. Um I wanted to talk about Flybe, which is, you may be thinking, why are we talking about Flybe? 
half a year after they went out of business. Um, <laughs> but what I found interesting was I was reading an investigation released by the Air Accident Investigation Branch in the UK last week. And this was about an incident that happened in February 2019. Um, it was on an Embraer E195 that was meant to be flying from Exeter, so your home airport, I believe, to... Yeah, um, my nearest, <laughs> since they closed Plymouth, absolutely. Yeah, um, to Alicante. Um, and what happened was this aircraft, um, basically, um, the, prior to the flight, they decided that they were going to wash the engines of the aircraft. And, um, actually this would be an interesting thing for us to explore why they do that in a later date. But, um, it's basically <laughs> to remove little bits like salt and sand and dust that accumulates in the aircraft, um, in the engine and just reduces its performance. Um, okay. so they were meant to be cleaning that, but it's it seems from reading the report that um, the people doing it weren't not un, they, they weren't not trained for it, but they just um, it would have probably been a better left task for someone else. Right. Um, <laughs> I think they identified that it would be better for the day shift because there was limited people on the night shift and they weren't okay. expecting it, so they just had to do it, and it didn't actually need to be done. It was just sort of like a this is a nice thing that we can do. You know, like washing your car, you know, you don't need yeah, to do like it. Yeah, like doing but, your windscreen as yeah. you're at the service station yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so the, in, they did this and in itself, there was no issue. The issue was um, after you do this, you're meant to run the engine for a certain amount of time to just clear any detergent that might be left over. Okay. And I think they did this um, on a low power run um, but there's two different runs. There's a high power and a low power run. And the, uh, the low power run, um, what it does is it burns off the stuff in the ninth stage of the compressor and the high power run burns off in the fifth stage of the compressor. Um, so they did the low power run, but not the high power run. So there was still some goo left in the fifth <laughs> stage of the compressor. Which Technical term, goo. Yeah, um, I mean... <laughs> In itself, it's not a problem, you know. Had the flight taken off, um, it would have probably been fine. Um, you know, it's just uh, more of a discomforting thing to see white smoke and fumes in the aircraft um, than yeah. actual danger. But what happened was, um, as they were taxiing to the runway the day after, they noticed that there was um, smoke and a weird smell in the cockpit, but um, they thought this might have just been being blown back into the circulation system by the wind. Um, and then when they turned around, they sort of moved the thrust levers up to 55%, still holding the brake. And that's when they got like full smoke coming into the cockpit. So obviously um, they shut down the engines and stopped the aircraft and evacuated. Okay. But um, the interesting thing here was typically, um, Typically, if this sort of situation occurs, it happens while the aircraft has already started moving. Um, so in the time it takes for the aircraft to stop, the flaps are brought down um, fully to allow passengers to slide down. Yeah. Um, because it's quite high off the ground, an aircraft wing, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Uh, especially when there's an engine underneath it as well. Um, yeah. But I mean, it's a common thing for overwing exits to not have a slide um, all the time. You know, I think Airbus does do it on the A320, but the 737 doesn't have it. Um, right. And it's it's not such an issue in itself, but 
The issue here was because there was um, no time for the flaps to deploy while the aircraft itself was slowing down, um, the engines were just cut because there was no need to wait, um, which stopped the flaps coming down. So at the first position, they were at, I think, 6.9 degrees. Um, and they would have been moved to the fifth position if they deployed fully. Um, but they moved just 0.3 degrees to 7.2 degrees um, before the engine was shut down and their power was um, cut. And I mean, in, in the end of the day, this I don't think is a huge issue. Passengers still could have um, jumped down, but what the... They didn't want to. Yeah, they didn't want to, basically, because it was um, such them. a huge drop. And I think the AAIB suggested that um, it was because there was no... Uh, urgency, you know, there wasn't like a fire in the cockpit. If there was a fire in the cockpit, you'd just be running for your life, you know. So, yeah, I guess so. Uh, yeah. In the cabin. So um, what they did was they just stood on the wing. Um, and then the crew went to check um, the cabin and they're like, there's all these people on the wing. So they had to be led <laughs> back inside the aircraft to oh, um, then use a slide to exit from one of the main exits. And I think um, in total, nine passengers were identified as having initially gone out the wing and then had to um, go back inside. Um, <laughs> so obviously, as a result, Flyby altered its cabin briefing to highlight that there is no emergency slide on the overhead wing. Um, you do have which, to jump. <laughs> um, yeah, but obviously it's not such an issue now because Flybee's not flying. But um, No, true. It was I like just, that. Quali quality West Country reaction. They were, I ain't jumping down from there. Are you <laughs> kidding me? <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, thankfully, I think only one person, one passenger was injured um, in the incident. But it's just, it's. I think it's thankful that this happened on... Um, a non-urgent incident, if that, if you know what I mean. Like, obviously, well, every I'm sure incident if it was is serious. Urgent, they, and, they'd have gone for it. Yeah. They'd have gone for it. But yeah, uh, yeah interesting nonetheless. Hmm. Cool. So I wanted to round up today with um, some chat about this flights to nowhere business. So, uh, you know, obviously there's been chaos caused by COVID and uh, a lot of airlines are finding inventive ways of keeping cash flowing into their businesses. So we've seen airlines turning to cargo or repatriation flights. But something that's really unique to this pandemic is the number of airlines operating what they're calling flights to nowhere. Um, um, one of the first, I just wanted to kind of highlight a few of these that have caught my interest. So one, one of the first we heard about was um, actually run by an airport. It was Taipei's Songshang Airport in Taiwan. Um, and before COVID or just at the start of the COVID kind of lockdowns, they'd completed extensive renovations of their facilities. They'd installed a brand new lounge and they really wanted to show it off to their passengers. But there were no passengers coming through the airport. So um, they worked with Eva Air and China Airlines lines to run a flight that was called pretend to leave the country. Um, so passengers arrived, they got to check in, they got access to the lounge, they could eat food. They went through the whole boarding process to get on a real plane. And then they just kind of sat there and got a bit of a demonstration of um, different things about the plane and what they were doing to keep them safe from COVID. And uh, it was really popular. More than 7,000 people applied and kind of got picked through a raffle process. Um, so that was like a flight to nowhere that didn't leave the tarmac. Another one didn't even involve a plane. <laughs> and this was 
pretty cool. It was, um, I think we might have spoken about it briefly before on the podcast, but it's a, an airline called First Airlines, which doesn't really exist. Um, and they take people to Rome, Paris, New York through the wonders of virtual reality. So you board kind of a mock-up aircraft with real airline seats, business class, no less. Um, and there's kind of a takeoff and landing sequence where you get a realistic experience that you're actually flying while you're um, let's say, in the air, in inverted commas, um, you get to eat themed meals on board for whatever destination you're heading for. Um, you know, and, and then you kind of get a tour of the city through this virtual reality headset. So it's it's pretty cool. And, uh, you know, I think for $60, I'd do it if it wasn't all the way over in Japan. Um, but then again, there are the airlines that actually are taking passengers into the sky um, as part of their flights to nowhere. So Anna was doing this, um, or Nippon Airways to give them their full title. And they've got three of the most eye-catching Airbus A380s in the world, I will say. Well, they haven't got the third one yet, but they've got two so far. They call them the Flying Honus, which is, uh, it, it means sky turtle, I believe, or something like that. So, uh, and they're painted in the most beautiful liveries. So they want to keep them current. They want to be able to fly them. They're, they're just for a Hawaii route from Japan to Hawaii. So they want to keep them current and keep them ready to go for when Hawaii's borders open up again. Um, so they had to fly them. They've got to kind of keep them moving and fly them every now and then. So rather than just flying them empty, they thought, why not stick a load of passengers on board, make a bit of money and promote our Hawaii route at the same time. So they did, a, they, they did again, like a raffly sort of thing. And it was completely oversubscribed. It was such a popular flight. And they did a kind of circuit of the Tokyo area. Passengers got these unique blue Hawaii cocktails and various souvenirs to take home with them. Um, and they're getting ready to do a second one. It was that successful. Well, no, so. yeah, the, um, the second one was two days ago. They've done oh, it. Oh, was it? Yeah. Oh, I missed that. that so that was on the green flying honey, wasn't it? Yes. Because the first one was the blue one. Yes. Um, so, yeah, they've done it again. Amazing. Yeah, that was uh, one hour and a half on um, Sunday, I think. Cool. Yeah. Brilliant. So, and then, of course, we've got Taiwan Starlux Airlines, which was probably the airline we were most looking forward to seeing start operations this year. But they kind of started operations and immediately got locked down. So, uh, they've been doing pretending to go abroad sightseeing flight, heading out over the Pratus Islands in the South China Sea. They're going to be doing something else like that as well because it was so popular. Eva Air did a Father's Day experience where they took off from Taipei and flew for two, two hours and 45 minutes. Royal Brunei Airlines has been operating dine and fly sightseeing trips. Um, and Singapore Airlines is also planning to do a, a flight from Changi to Changi in about three hours. <laughs> so it's it's been really popular. And uh, it's not just in Asia either. The most recent one that I wanted to mention was the Qantas one, um, where they um, employed a Dreamliner to do the Great Southern Land border-free flight because you know Australia's got Australia's got all problems not just with travelling internationally but like national border closures as well. So people really can't get around there at the moment. And uh, and yeah, so the flight, the first one's due to take place on October the 10th, and it will just take some joyriders from Sydney on a sightseeing trip to see things like um, Uluru and uh, the Whitsundays, the Gold Coast, Byron Bay. Um, and they put it on sale at midday uh, sometime last week. And within 10 minutes, every single ticket has sold. And Qantas actually said it's the fastest selling flight in Qantas history. So they're absolutely looking to do some more of those flights. So and, it was uh, I think even it's... quicker than the 747 retirement ones. 
Apparently so, wow. yeah. <laughs> so I think it's a great idea. And uh, well, all I can say is I wish some British airlines were doing it because I'd very happily do a little tour on a, a plane just to get up in the sky again. I mean, in theory, you can do a flight to nowhere with British Airways because I was um, searching into it earlier. And actually, as part of the, they do this um, flying with confidence course. So the caveat oh. is that you have to sit through a day of um, learning about turbulence and how to deal with the anxiety generated by flying. But um, if you sit through the course, you do get to take a short flight from Heathrow to Heathrow, say, for example, on, cool. I guess, an A320. So, <laughs> Yeah, I think I'd prefer one that actually took me sightseeing and, mm. uh, you know, like pointed out Well, cool I mean, if, if it was from Heathrow, it would be sightseeing because you'd either take off over London or land, so... True, true. <laughs> it's an interesting concept. And I think it's, you know, it's great to see airlines doing these uh, mm. inventive activities to get some money in and to keep their passengers loyal. So mm. uh, good luck to them. I just wish I was in Australia because uh, I'd love to do that Qantas flight myself. Mm. Well, I think that's it for today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. And as usual, welcome any feedback at podcast at simpleflying.com. For more great content, you can visit our website at simpleflying.com or find us on social media. Simply search for Simple Flying. If you enjoyed our podcast, please leave us a rating on your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.